All right, here we go. Uh, Joe, it was with me, Joe Choi, right here. If you haven't met him yet, he's our worship leader. I hope, Worship Arts Pastor, you get a chance to connect with him. I want to give a shout out to Joe because uh, you might have noticed we have a new LED wall behind me. And uh, praise the Lord for that provision. And what you might not know is that Joe is very knowledgeable with all things tech. And it's a gift that a lot of us don't have. But Joe has it from the Lord. And Joe has spent weeks, weeks uh, installing the wall. And it saved our church about $65,000, all the work that he's done. So we are very grateful. And really, it's just a provision because our projectors have worn out. And uh, now we have, we're all looking at the same place. There's greater clarity. But it's not about the wall. It really isn't. It's about a room full of people gathering together who are seeking Jesus and hungry for God. And it's about God's presence and power and how he changes lives. And that's what it's about. And anything that helps us worship Jesus, great. We're, we want anything that helps us to worship the Lord. And it's about God changing lives. And uh, we're seeing people come to know the Lord. We're seeing people get baptized. I'm excited because this baptism tonight is like a first fruit. There are many people who are ready to get baptized now, even next month. And so we're looking forward to what God is doing. Uh, also, we had a membership class this week and over 15 people were in the class. And that's awesome to see. <clears throat> And, and we celebrate our international partners, over 40 international partners. Isn't it encouraging to get a glimpse of what God is doing in places like Uganda? Isn't it wonderful? We're all part of that together, giving, praying, encouraging each other. So God is moving in many different ways. Uh, we are right now in a series in the book of Genesis. If you brought a Bible, you can turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 12, but we're going to cover some different uh, areas of Abraham's life. We're going to move around in the book of Genesis. This theme tonight is breaking destructive patterns. Have you ever had a pattern in your life that you knew it wasn't healthy, it was destructive, and it was time to break the pattern? And in our relationships, we want to be unchained. We don't want to be operating out of fear. We want to be alive with the Lord and in our relationships. That's what this message is about. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory as we see you moving in so many different ways. God, we thank you that you are not restricted in 2020, God. But Lord, in fact, uh, your greatest work often comes in the most difficult times. And Lord, we are trusting you. We're looking to you. And Lord, we're listening. And I pray, God, that we would listen with our soul, not just our mind and ears, but with our soul. And you would heal and strengthen and restore and give fresh vision tonight. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at Abraham's strengths, and tonight we're going to look at a struggle as well. Strengths and struggles. We all have strengths and struggles. What's refreshing about the Bible is that things are transparent. Sometimes we like to be more guarded. We don't want to be transparent, but as we read the Bible, we really get a transparent view, a very realistic view of who people are and how much all of us need God. And that comes through in the strengths and the gifts God gives us, but it also comes through in our struggles. These passages probably didn't make it onto Abraham's Facebook page. They were not part of his Instagram story, uh, but yet here in the Word of God, we have these valuable stories to help us grow in our faith and in our relationships. Uh, it's important in the Bible and also in life to notice patterns. Patterns are significant. And we're going to look at kind of a case study, some examples here, and I think you're going to pick up on the pattern that was running through Abram's life. 
Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. (laughs) This is sounding good. This is a good start. Now, he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So, say that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants, and camels. Abram made a fear-based decision. Have you ever made a fear-based decision? Fear was driving him. He made some assumptions because fear often leads to assumptions about what would and wouldn't happen. And he chose rebellion. He chose instead of doing it God's way, I'm going to do it my way. And he came up with the sister plan. A kind of a manipulative, sneaky little lie because, you know, Sarah was actually his father's daughter, but not his mother's child. And so with that relationship, he said, let's just call you my sister. It's not a full lie. It's kind of a half lie. I'm twisting some things right here, but it's going to work. This plan is going to work. And Abraham, I'm sure, feels like the plan is working. When Sarah's safe, he's safe. And now what is Abraham receiving? He's receiving sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, servants. Inside, he's feeling like my plan worked. Have you ever rebelled against God, done something that you know lacks some integrity, and yet there's some rewards that come with it, and inside you're kind of feeling initially like, my plan worked. But let's look at verse 17. Because the next three words, but the Lord. Those are important. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. But the Lord. You know, here's the irony. You have Pharaoh, who's not honoring God, is going to rebuke Abraham who's a patriarch and knows God. Sometimes followers of God will be so out of line that people who don't follow God will actually be correcting and rebuking them. They say, no, you shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't lie like that. You, shouldn't, you should be authentic. And they'll call him out. And that's what's happening here. Pharaoh's calling out Abraham. In this series, what we're seeing is how much our relationship with God affects every relationship in our life. And when we're not abiding with God, that will affect every relationship in our life. And Abraham pulls out of that abiding place, and instead what comes out of his mouth, some lies, some manipulation, now he's leading a double life. Jesus confronted religious people who tried to live a double life. In Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Jesus is very straightforward. 
Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's so easy to be a religious hypocrite. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear and the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. In other words, everything is laid bare in God's sight. No secret sins will stay hidden. God will tackle injustice. He will tackle hypocrisy. He will tackle a double life and it will be made known. There will be light shining on it and that's what Jesus does. It will surface Even though it's sneaky and hidden, it will surface. And that's what happens here. Abraham's lie that he tries to stuff surfaces. Now, Abraham, again, his strengths, he trusted God to leave the pagan idolatry. He trusted God to leave Ur. He trusted God in believing God would give him the land. He trusted God in a famine. But he didn't trust God in going to Egypt with Pharaoh. As you think about your own life, maybe there's four areas where you say, I'm trusting God, I'm trusting God, I'm trusting God, and I'm trusting God. But is there one area where you're overexerting, over-controlling, and you're not really trusting God? You're over-striving, and you're doing it your way and not God's way. Now, you could try to rationalize and say, well, it's because of this, 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 and this, but deep down you know You're not abiding in that area, and you've got some walls up in that area, and it's been a pattern for a while, but you're guarding that area. That's Abraham, and that's what he's doing. Overexerting, overcontrolling, fear-driven decisions. That's his area right there where God wants to move. And will he trust God? Will he trust God and do it God's way? Uh, God sometimes whispers, this is not working. Have you ever heard that whisper from God? And and sometimes it's consequences. Sometimes it's our loved ones that say, this is not working the way you're doing this. And sometimes when we're stubborn, God will shout it a little louder. This is not working. And he'll get our attention. He's getting Abraham's attention. Will Abraham change? Well, let's move on to the second example. Let's turn to the right to Genesis chapter 20. And some of tonight is going to feel like deja vu all over again. Uh, Genesis chapter 20, second example. Let me just ask you, have you ever gone back to the same sin? Have you repeated the same sin this week? <laughs> and, and what about that repetition of sin? Let's take a look at Abraham's life. Genesis chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Here we go again. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and he took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Once again, but God, we have a new person. Now we have Abimelech, king of Gerar. We have a new place. It's not Pharaoh. It's not Egypt. But you know what? It's the same bottle with a different label. It's the same bottle with a different label in Abraham's back. This time, Abraham has a little more awareness. And look at, why is he doing this? Look at verse 8. He's a little more aware. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. 
Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. Once again, getting rebuked by somebody when he's supposed to be the one following God. Verse 10, And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There's surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander in my father's, from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Uh, let's break this down. A couple of insights about what's happening here. First of all, he says, I said to myself. He doesn't say, God said to me. I said to myself. And it's okay to talk to yourself and have some self-talk, but what's missing here is some prayer. God, what should I do? Inquire of the Lord. Whenever the Israelites don't inquire of the Lord, it doesn't usually go very well. And so there's not an inquiring of the Lord. There's not a surrender to the Lord. There's not a trusting of the Lord. That conversation's not happening. There's not a going back to what is God's word. Instead, I said to myself. And what did he say to himself? It's a good observation. There's really not much fear of God in this place. It's a good spiritual observation about what's happening. Here's the irony. He's going to imitate what's happening there in that place because he's not going to have a fear of God. He's in a place where there's not much respect for God. And what is he going to do? He's going to imitate the culture. He's going to let go of his respect for God. And now it's a little self-righteous. Have you ever been around someone who's religious and kind of self-righteous? Well, I know how these people are. I know their ways and their thoughts. And because of that, well, then I'm just going to do this. And now what's he doing? He's just blending in. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to shine the light of the Lord, not just imitate and look like the culture. And Abraham, what does he do? He, he rationalizes it, that half lie, and then he manipulates his wife. He says, this is how I want you to show your love to me. I want you to lie too. I want you to tell everyone that, yes, I'm just your brother. And there's a twist. It doesn't matter who's telling you to do something immoral. Never do it. And you say, well, I thought the Bible says like honor your spouse or like honor your leaders or honor the national leaders in your country or the local leaders. If someone tells you to do something that's wrong and immoral and goes against scripture, don't do it no matter who says it. And so Sarah is going to have to, she's in a tough spot right here. And ultimately, fear-based decisions lead to rebellion, lead to doing things my way, not God's way. And when we go down that road, it will affect our relationships. It'll affect our family relationships. We will try to over-control situations and people. And uh, as a result, uh, there'll be some destruction. Here's a truth about patterns in sin. The more you sin, the more you want to sin. The more you say yes to sin, the more you want more sin. The more you say yes to sin, the easier it is to do it again. Also, the more you sin, the more excuses. And the excuses get more clever, and sometimes they get more outrageous. And after you've been making excuses for many years, the heart becomes hard. But what I'm here to declare in the good news is that in Jesus' name, all this can change. All this can change in one night in Jesus' name. 
through the power of the Lord. Uh, it's not going to change right away for Abraham. Here's a third example. You said a third example. Yeah, we're, we're going to look at a third example. Genesis chapter 16. And I'm going to read starting in verse 1. This one has bigger implications than the other two. Verse, six, verse 1 in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave uh, her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar and Hagar fled from her. And uh, similarities here, we have religious talk. Sarai says, well, the Lord's kept me. Have you ever heard someone who's talking real spiritual and there's a bunch of sin at the same time? <laughs> Do you ever have that dissonance of listening to someone using all the spiritual language and they're talking about the Lord and yet there's just like this darkness going on at the same time? Sarai is in her own world and she's making her own choices. Abraham's going with her. Why? Fear-based. At age 75, God said we would have a child. Now here we are. Ten years we've been in the land. There's no child. And instead of trust, holding on to God's word, holding on to God's promise, instead there's fear-based. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe he's not faithful. Maybe we're not going to have a kid. Maybe we should do things our own way. Fear takes over. We're going to do it our own way. God clearly has messed up this timing. And then what happens? Now Sarai despises Hagar. Now there's animosity between Sarai and Abram. Now Hagar's going to be mistreated. Now Hagar's going to flee. God's grace is that he shows up to this single mom, Hagar, and shows up in intimacy and grace and love and encourages her. He uh, does it a couple times, and, and she even names God. He's the God who sees me. He's the God who sees me in my pain, and I've been mistreated. And God comes alongside in his grace to the single mom, Hagar. It is powerful, his grace. But Abram and Sarah have made a mess. And now there's complaining back and forth about the situation, the results, God's timing. All this is going back and forth. And isn't it easy in life to complain about situations and results when the main issue is our heart? It's so easy to complain about situations, timing, and results when the main issue is usually our heart. And Abraham and Sarah are not talking about their heart. They're talking about Hagar. They're talking about situations, results, and they're complaining. There's a spirit of complaining. You say, wow, Here, here's a wow. The descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac continue to battle to this day. You say, going back to Genesis 16, uh, and how this plays out, as you just look through the generations, uh, there's a need for healing. 
uh, right here between Hagar and Sarah. There's a need for healing between Isaac and Ishmael. And as you just continue to look down the line, it's like we need healing. We need to come back together and unite. And so it plays out. Uh, I, I just, um, I think it's always good to remember, like the Bible says, pray for Jerusalem, pray for Israel, pray for the Middle East, and uh, pray that people would turn to Jesus and restoration and healing, and those walls of hostility would, would come back uh, in terms of unity. So these decisions here, um, they're going to affect generations, and we're going to see this in one last example. I know we're starting out with a lot of detailed examples, but we're going to get into the application. This is important to see, Genesis chapter 26. This is another one that, that jumps out. And in Genesis chapter 26, now we're in the next generation. Now uh, we have Isaac right here. He's married to Rebecca. okay? Uh, and, and look what happens in verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, what do you think he's going to say? Isaac, he's married to Rebecca. He's back in Gerar, if that's going to sound familiar. There's even Abimelech right here. It's probably not the same Abimelech. It's probably son or grandson of the, the one that Abraham talked to. But here we have it. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Why? Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and then saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. Uh, just like daddy, just like son. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the influence that parents have is astounding. And kids are always watching. Kids will imitate parents. And here we see a cycle that starts with Abraham and now continues on to the next generation in the very same place. We have a cycle. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you have influence on the next generation, you're always starting cycles. Let me say it again. You're always starting generational cycles. You can also end cycles. You can have victory over cycles and you can bring health or you can continue or even start cycles that are destructive. That's the influence of family. It's the way God set it up. And so we see a pattern here. There's been four examples of fear over faith. But we want to set an example for future generations of faith over fear. Faith over fear, not fear over faith. Uh, this week, we're having some fun. Went to Dairy Queen and had all the kids in the back of the car. As we showed up at Dairy Queen, Dairy Queen didn't look open and so we joined a long line on the drive-thru. A lot of cars, waited a long time. Eventually we got to the order window and as we made the order, we had four kids in the car and they each had their uh, certificates, their cards, uh, and, and each card was separate. And so we needed to make separate orders for all the gift cards. And as I started to make the orders, and I was going to make four orders, they informed me through the drive-thru, no, you can only make two orders each time. So we made the first two orders, and the first two had food. 
But that was not going to stop the fun. So we came back. And, and you know, here we go again. Next order. We got two more orders. We're back again. And this is what we want on the next two gift cards. And we made it through, waited through the line, said, hi again. Good to see you again. Yep, we were just here. We want two more. And we made the order. And then we pulled away. And the kids said, wait a second. I'm still hungry. Let's get another burger. I'm still hungry. And so the third time we come back around and we're waiting in line again, third time. Yes, it's us again. You've seen us before. Same people, new order. But I'm going to tell you this the third time. You won't be seeing us again. And as I said goodbye the third time, I said, this is our final goodbye. And sometimes with cycles, you need to say, this is my final goodbye. You won't see me here again. You have to, you know that feeling I had on the third time that we're not going to do this again? You've got to have a strong sense of, I'm not going back to that sin In Jesus' name, by his grace, I'm going to abide. I'm going to choose faith over fear. I'm going to do it God's way. It's time to break some patterns. Turn to the person next to you in front of you and just say, it's time to break some patterns. It's time to break some patterns. What are some common patterns? Here they are. I identified six. There's more than this, but I'm going to name a few in case it still sounds kind of vague. Patterns. What are we talking about? Here's six. They all start with A. That's what preachers do. Uh, The first one is addiction. Could be alcoholism. Could be drugs. Could be porn. An addiction to numb the pain. The pain is real. Healing is from the Lord, but an addiction has formed. Here's the second one. Atheism. Rejecting God. It can happen for generations. We're going to call the shots instead of God calling the shots. We're going to tell our creator that no, he's not really our creator. We're going to tell God to get in the back seat. We're going to take the steering wheel. Actually, we're going to tell God he's not even allowed in the car. Atheism can continue for generations. Here's a third one, abuse. Hurt. Rage. People using people. Harsh. Mean. Physical, sexual, emotional abuse. Here's a fourth one that can continue. Arrogance, not changing. Denial, arrogance, no teachability, unforgiveness, strife, not letting it go, grudges. Uh, You know where I think arrogance shows up? Youth sports. I would just like there to be a ref cam for some of these games that that parents could be seen. Arrogance is obvious. You enter a game in a ref and you just kind of see on the sidelines who's got a lot of arrogance and they could just play the ref cam on social media the next day. Okay, that's, that's my imagination. That's my dream come true. Here's a fifth one. Absence. When there's an idol, people are absent from their most important relationships. They neglect their most important relationships. They're often trying to climb the wrong ladder or they're driven in the wrong way and it's all coming from self. There's a little bit of Messiah complex and they just neglect the people that are important. Absence. And the last one is apathy. Lukewarm, complacent, stuck. It can continue. It can continue. So these are some examples of some patterns that, again, Jesus wants to break. Jesus wants to make us alive, unchanged, unchained, (laughs) very changed, unchained. And uh, how does that happen? We're going to look at the solutions now. Three actions. So let's get specific. The first one is to know God, who God really is. How do you do that? You spend time in the Word. 
Spend time in the Word. Say, who is God? You go right to the Word. You can seek God in prayer. Seek God in prayer and fasting. God reveals himself to those who are hungry. You get hungry for God's presence. And it can happen through conversations. People have been walking with God who know God. You start to ask questions and God starts to reveal more of himself. How good he is, how wise he is, how gracious he is, how loving he is, how powerful he is, how holy he is, how loved you are. That's where the healing starts. How loved you are in the awesomeness of God. And what happens is you realize how good and faithful and trustworthy God is. God builds a trust in your life and this trust grows and it's a faith that grows. And now you trust God in all situations. In our house, we use the phrase big feelings. When big feelings come, you can still trust God in the middle of the pain. You can trust God in the deep questions of life when there's no answer, maybe this side of heaven. You trust God and you can realize, I can still trust you, Jesus. What we need now is a fresh vision of the greatness of God. What breaks cycles and patterns that are destructive? A fresh vision of the greatness of God. God is the cycle breaker. God is the answer. And God is the one uh, that we can trust. And he gives us a new start. A new start. So don't get too focused on COVID and finances and politics and restrictions because none of those will ultimately give you the life and the power in your life to break these destructive cycles like God who changes hearts with his greatness. So the first action is to know God, know God more. The second one is to return to God. You say, I know God, I know who he is and his greatness, but sometimes we don't realize how far we've drifted in our hearts. Proverbs 28 verses 13 and 14 The book of Proverbs says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart will fall into trouble. God will never despise someone with a humble, a contrite heart. He'll pour out mercy and grace to anyone who will come to him and be honest and, and get right with the Lord. Revival always comes after repentance. Tim Keller often describes it this way. God is holy and he's so holy that we sometimes underestimate how different we are than who God is. Instead of God being holy, and this is a realistic look at us, what do we try to do? We try to pull God down and we boost ourselves up in pride and we kind of say oh there isn't that much of a difference between me and holy god this is the truth this is what we do in our culture and so revival comes i was reading about 1949 in the hebrides this is you know scotland if you're gonna uh, identify it geographically an awakening that happened and there's this phrase that the people there described the weight of conviction the weight of his glory the weight of conviction his glory the weight uh, those are synonymous his glory his weight and then the weight of conviction that we need God, we need God, we need to return to God. I would say today there's a need to exhibit humility again. I don't think followers of Jesus are known these days for humility. Instead, sometimes we're known for rage, for slander, for complaining, for being mean. Humility, that humbleness before God 
that leads to humility in relationships. May God bring that as we return to him. And the third one is to, to honor God, to move forward with a life sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is not just a battle of the flesh and will and try harder and get more goals and get more organized and then try harder again and then you're going to get the breakthrough. Uh, what we're talking about here, it's a spiritual dynamic in the spiritual realm and it's a spiritual battle. It's between darkness and, and, and light and good and evil and God and, and this spiritual battle is real in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses 3 and 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. These are not weapons like a gun. These are not weapons like atomic weapons. Uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Doesn't that sound like breaking destructive cycles? Demolish strongholds in our lives and we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Because where's the battle between the ears? And then what's the language of the devil? Lies. There's two kinds of lies. There's internal lies that we believe and hold on to. And then there's external lies that come in from the world. And there's power through Jesus. There's power through the word. There's power through prayer. There's power through fasting. There's power to break these lies, to bring truth. Instead of the lie that look how puffed up we are and we don't need God. No, we reject that lie. And the truth is we need God's presence in our families, in our hearts, in our land, in our churches. We need his presence. And then there's breakthroughs that happen in the spiritual realm when we seek the Lord. Not playing games, not just going to church, not kind of casual, but when we really seek the Lord and we're hungry together, God breaks through the darkness and shines his light and God can turn around any heart and turn around any situation. He's mighty to do that. And we say, well, what is this? Psalm 24 says it kind of poetically in talking about the city and the gates of the city. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty. He's the Lord, mighty in battle. So lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? He's the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. They had gates around the city. Lift up the gates. Let the King of glory come in. Open up the doors of the church. Let the King of glory come in. Open up our hearts, the gates of our hearts. Let the King of glory come in and let's honor him. A new courage, a new boldness. We got a backbone during these times. We find our voice. Churches are not seen as non-essential, but churches are essential. They just are. And, and churches become alive. And people don't see churches as like, oh, it must be irrelevant. They say, no, that church right there, they're, they're bringing food, they're bringing prayer, they're loving me. I know those people, they follow Jesus. If you go to that church, you can experience Jesus. And there's love and there's authenticity and it's real and it's a relationship with God. That's the life that God brings when we break out of destructive patterns. Alive again. You know what defined Abraham's life was faith, not fear. We've looked at his struggles, but the strength of his life was his faith. And how do we overcome this world? Uh, we have eternal life through faith in Christ. And daily there's victories through faith. We overcome the world and the temptations and the systems, the destructive patterns and the lies through faith, through a fresh vision of God in knowing who he is, fresh humility from returning to him, 
And then also walking with him, abiding, full of the Holy Spirit as we honor him where we live, work, learn, or play. Not just a religious hour, not compartmentalized, but our whole lives, wherever we're going, we're abiding, we're full of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to close uh, with a mention of the upcoming elections because uh, there's two things I really uh, encourage you to do, and that's pray and vote. I think it's really important to pray and to vote. Uh, it's a significant time in our country, and a lot of the decisions that are going to be made on many levels are going to affect our lives in so many ways. And so it's really important to pray and vote. You might even want to think about fasting uh, from now to the election in some different ways, but it's a significant time in our country. And uh, having said that, uh, I want to say, though, that there's something much more important than that. And, uh, and, and it's this, the presence and power of God. And if we're looking in our country for the deepest healing and the unity and the joy, uh, you say, to be the country that, that we really want, you know what it's going to take? The presence and power of God. And don't put your hope in a politician or in a law. Don't put your hope in that because that's going to go up and down and up and down your whole life. But you put your trust in Jesus, who's the rock, and you say, I'm not going to have any idols. I'm going to seek the Lord, trust the Lord. We don't need the form of religion. We've got all kinds of form of religion. We don't want to have the form of religion and deny his presence and power in our lives. And so may God just bring destruction on the lies, the negative thoughts, the patterns in our relationships, the way we treat each other. May he renew our minds. May he build us up with life. May we be unchained from the chains that are holding holding us back. May we come alive. You say, well, I'll wait to end of COVID and come alive. No, that's not it. Tonight, today, come alive. Fresh vision of the Lord. Humble ourselves. Seek the Lord. Honor the Lord, the Lord's presence, the Lord's power. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your, your goodness. We thank you, God, that uh, we get an honest look at people like Abraham in the major steps of faith that he took and we're inspired, and also the struggles that we can relate to. Uh, Lord, just like Abraham goes back to the same sin, Lord, we return to the same lies and attitude and patterns, and uh, you tell us boldly in your word, just like a dog returns to his vomit, we return to the same sins. And Lord, we don't want to turn back to the junk. Lord, I pray for uh, a fresh vision of who you are, your greatness. I pray for an increase in faith tonight. Lord, I pray against fear-based decisions. I pray against fear-based decisions that instead, Lord, we would honor you and respect you. And out of that respect, with love as our motive, God, we would make new decisions. We would have new patterns. And I pray it would affect the generations in new ways. God, this younger generation, I feel like in, in many ways they've received a bunch of junk sometimes from the older generations and they've been duped. But God, we want to bring something new and fresh to the youngest generations, a message of your goodness and love and the gospel that's so fulfilling and so much joy. And I pray that your joy would spread to the nations like Uganda. God, we don't know where you're going to lead us and guide us, but we're giving you the praise and we're seeking you together. Uh, Lord, during this song, as we celebrate your power, I pray that some would put their trust in you for the first time. Some would see, Jesus, that you have mighty power over darkness. God, some would return to you with confession and repentance. And some would, would be ready to honor you in new ways, in our jobs, in our homes, in our friendships. 
Do what only you can do during this song as we worship you together. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.